Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now, before we start today's podcast, I'd just like to let everyone know that we are now on Patreon. We have an official Patreon page. So if you like what we do here at the podcast and you'd like to support us, then head on over to patreon.com forward slash jumpers podcast that's patreon.com forward slash jumpers podcast even a couple of quid goes a long way especially when mush the matchman hands in his expenses form at the end of the month now on to today today we have a special 2000 2001 champions league issue for you we start our historical journey in july 2000 a month that saw off-the-course cheat, Tiger Woods become the youngest player ever at just 24 to win all four major golf titles at the British Open. And on-the-course cheat, Lance Armstrong picked up the yellow jacket by winning the Tour de France. On the European football stage, Real Madrid would look to defend their Champions League crown, but face tough competition from Bayern Munich, Valencia and Leeds United. Mush the Matchman is live from Ellen Road with an unbelievable game between Leeds and Lazio. And David O'Leary shows up in Brucey's bathroom. All this, and we have a special Champions League quiz. So let's get going. Silvestri tries a clip ball into the channel, blocked by the Hungarian Sabiscus. He was starving for that. Tweedy Bird Silvestri with the throw into Beckham, who's deep on the left here. Surely he should be out on the right. Beckham, time to find that 19-man York. He turns Mr. Kimball, looks up, sees Sheringham, plays it into him. Oh, Teddy, what a touch! A back heel into the box. Goals is in on the end of it. Keep it a beat. Goal for United at the Arnold Schwarzenegger Arena. Teddy's touch was a total recall. Scholes was a predator. Strumgratz commando at the back. United lead in Austria, and nobody is sending them to the cooler. It's 1-0. I'll be back. These next two men love a game on the foosball table. They have both competed in foosball tournaments all over the house. Mush the Matchman is a particularly skillful foosball player, finally putting those chocolate wrists to good use. Dan has been known to lose the plot on the foosball table and once threw his own table against the wall after the table refused to play five at the back. It's Daniel McIntyre and Connor Elliott, also known as Dan and Mush the Matchman. Dan, how are we doing today? Doing very well, Stephen. Thank you. Do you still have that foosball table? I do, but it's in pieces, sadly. But I just couldn't throw it out. So, lads, the tournament started on the 12th of July 2000 with the first qualifying round. Shelburne nicked a one-all draw away from home against Macedonian outfit Sloga Hugo Magnat that saw them through. And Linfield went out on the dreaded away goals to Hacker. No, not the All Blacks dancing in front of them. Hacker, the Finnish football champions. It was a very busy start of the tournament in July. Dan, what were you busy doing in the summer of 2000? Oh, phone party, Stephen. Went to my first phone party. Messy affair. Red eyes. Football training the next morning. 
another uh, regrettable but enjoyable occasion. Was it worth the money? Absolutely. <laughs> Mosh, you look like you've got another retro jersey on for us this week. Is that uh, an official 2000-2001 Champions League shirt? It is indeed, Stephen. The kit I'm wearing is the Lachio home kit from the 2000 and 2001 season. A light blue colour with a navy spiral design down the sleeves. A V-neck with a white trim made by Puma and sponsored by Siemens Mobile, who replaced Del Monte as the kit sponsor. Out went the refreshing juice and in came a mobile company. Perucci still couldn't get signal. Spengorn Erickson overseeing Lazio wearing this kit until January as he took the England job and in came Dino's off. Players blessed to wear this kit were Negro, Vivali, Fernando Couto, legend Nesta, hat-trick of free kicks, Mihailovic, the yellow weasel Simeone, Man United flop, Paborski, Veron, Monty Burns, Lombardo, Simeone onside in Zaghi, Marcelo Salas and Herman Crespo. No wonder they had won the Serie A the previous year. The kit I'm wearing is the Lazio home kit from 2000 and 2001, Steve. And what a beautiful kit it is. Dan, can you match Moss's jersey this week? Oh, I'm going to certainly try, Steve. This morning, I am wearing the AC Milan away kit from the 2000-2001 season. Kit maker Adidas, sponsored by Opel, car giants, not Opel Fruits. The kit design is a white shirt with a collar and red trim. Three famous red Adidas stripes down each sleeve. Two loud stripes, red and black, on the frame of the shirt with that classic black opal centre stage, with a gold star above the classic Milan crest, just to let everybody know that Milan are different class. This shirt was worn by legends Maldini, Costa Curta and Uncle Albertini. It was also worn by your mate Stephen, Ibrahim Ba, Ninja Turtle Leonardo, The Prince Redondo, Nutcase Gattuso, Genius Boban, Meerkat Andrei Shevchenko, Oliver the Bear is off, and AC Milan were managed at the time by Paolo Maldini's father, Cesare Maldini. What a shirt, what a club, and the players wearing it are all legends to this day. The AC Milan away shirt from the 2000-2001 season. So that's why Maldini kept getting in the team. Yeah, it all makes sense now. He, <laughs> he wasn't even that good. No, so, yeah. <laughs> his dad was the coach. Brilliant stuff. So some retro jerseys this week, lads. And listeners, for a chance to win a retro Lazio away jersey, head on over to our Facebook page. Just search for at Jumpers Podcast and enter our latest competition. Our jersey is kindly provided by our friends at Wholesale Sports Jerseys. For all your new and retro sports jerseys, head on over to wholesalesportsjerseys.fwscart.com. That's wholesalesportsjerseys.fwscart.com. So for all the teams competing in the Champions League 2000 and 2001, it was a very busy summer as players were recruited to try and get them to the promised land of Champions League glory. Now we look back at the transfer business for those teams competing in the Champions League. My five best bits of transfer business from the summer 2000 all across Europe are as follows. In at number five, it's Lucio, the Brazilian warrior who moved from Internacional in Brazil to Bayer Leverkusen for £7 million. Absolute bargain. Lucio was a titan at the back. Brilliant piece of business from the Germans. In at number four, and it's Mark Viduka, who moved from Glasgow Celtic to Leeds United 
for £6 million. And what a season he would have in the 2000-2001 season. Paducah was a Leeds fans' favourite and it was a fantastic piece of business from David Cabbage O'Leary. Mush, were you a big fan of Mark Paducah and Australians in general? He was a, a big unit, but he had a touch about him and he could score goals. But I, I thought he was the double of tennis player Lindsay Davenport. So I wasn't too sure, was it Viduk up top or a tennis player? Either way, he served up a lot of goals for Leeds. And then at number three, it's little Brazilian maestro Janino Pernambucano, who moved from Vasco da Gama to Leon on a free transfer. What a bit of business this was from Leon. He would go on to captain the club and score, I don't know how many free kicks throughout his career, also represent his country. He was an excellent player and a great bit of business here. And then at number two, it's Pablo Aymar, who moved from River Plate to Valencia for £13 million. Little Aymar moved to Valencia, replacing Claudio Lopez, who had been sold to Lazio for £20 million, brought in to add that creativity in the Valencia midfield, supporting John Crew in attack. And he'd done exactly that, having a great 2000-2001 campaign and a very successful Valencia career. And then at number one, it's musketeer Robert Perez, who moved from Marseille to Arsenal for £6 million. Yes, Arsene Wenger added another Frenchman to his ranks by bringing in Perez. And what a success story he was, replacing Mark Overmars, who had been sold to Barcelona for £25 million this summer. A great bit of business again from Wenger, really making the most of the transfer funds he was given. And Perez was an excellent player and a delight to watch. Did Bobby have the va-va-voom to get you going on the pitch? He did. He did look like D'Artagnan, but a beautiful player, beautiful man. Great addition to Wenger's side. I always have that memory, though, of the penalty flop that him and Henri did, you know, where he put his studs over the ball. Yeah. Uh, that always stands out in my head, but a great addition to Arsenal, Isle D'Artagnan. With every transfer window, there's always a flop or two. Mosh, you've taken a look at the worst bits of business of this window for these Champions League teams. Who makes your top five? Yes, Steve. In at number five is Fabian Corrine. Seven million pounds to Juventus. Purchased his backup for Buffon. Well, in four years at the old lady, he never filled the bags in Syria once. Was mainly used as copper Italia keeper. Still seven million pounds to warm the bench. Buffon never lost any sleep. He was sold into Milan in 2004. In part exchange, Juventus got Cannavaro. Not a bad bit of business. But for a goalkeeper, he did score four goals in his career. Number four, Fernando Redondo. 11 million pounds from Real Madrid to AC Milan. After six successful years where he won the league and the Champions League, Redondo had established himself as one of the top midfielders in world football. Sold, but Redondo had stated he was not involved in the transfer discussions and wanted to stay in Madrid. Even Madrid supporters protested outside the Bernabeu. An injury hit time at Milan, he only played 16 times in four years. He did, however, agree to suspend his salary while he was injured and even offered to return the house and car Milan board had gave him. Not often a South American footballer isn't such a merchant. Um, this isn't only one of the worst bits of business of transfer window, it's one of the saddest bits of transfer business. Real Madrid, great. I think he won most valuable player in the Champions League the year before. Madrid just made some mad decisions transfer-wise around this time. Oh, it just goes to show even Madrid had to, to balance the books, I suppose, and they just brought in Luis Figo, but to get rid of Redondo, who was a, an excellent player, an excellent professional, 
that Madrid uh, changing room would have looked up to him. Who can forget him in the Champions League campaign the year previously? Skinning Henningberg down the left flank in the Real Madrid's game against Manchester United. He was, as you say, the MVP. Another baffling bit of business for Real Madrid. I would highly doubt Redondo was on mega box either. And he didn't want to leave the club, which is even, you know, even more baffling. And just so unlucky then when he moves to another great European side that, that he gets injured and sort of lost the rest of his prime there, um, sadly. So, yeah, very sad story. Number three, Alfonso Perez from Real Betis to Barcelona for 16.5 million euros. A Spanish international who appeared at Euro 96 and the 98 World Cup. He scored over 50 goals for Real Betis and was given the number seven jersey at the Camp Nou. But he just could not adjust to life there. Two goals in one season. He was loaned out to Marseille the following season. And then he finally went back to his beloved Betis the season after that. Championship manager fans may remember him from 97-98 season as he was a fine player in that game. Number two. Roque Jr. £10 million from Palermos to AC Milan. This man, I think, personally stole a career for a living. Just ask Leeds United fans. His first season, he helped AC finish sixth in the league, and he couldn't even help them qualify out of their Champions League group. 44 appearances in four years for Milan. They had enough of his clumsy, unreliable ways, and he was loaned out to Leeds, where in seven games, he received four yellow cards, one red card, six defeats, and a part of a backline that conceded 24 goals. Yes, Roque did win the World Cup, but there's always a token thief in every squad. He was Scolari's pet as he'd played under him in Brazil. Plus Brazil played him beside Lucio and with two holding men to protect him in front of him. Plus that Brazil side had Rivaldo, Ronaldinho and Ronaldo. Rocky Jr, are you a con man? Oh, never rated him, never will. How he won a World Cup and a Champions League is beyond me. Um, horrible bit of business. And my number one is Nicolas Anelka, £22 million from Real Madrid to PSG. Well, he failed to settle at Madrid, so back to the club where it all started out. Fresh off winning the Euros with a fantastic French team, this deal was financed by Canal Plus, the French TV channel, who owned Paris Saint-Germain, and Nike, who sponsored them as well. They funded most of his wages. The big tick involved in more dodgy player dealings. 10 goals and 39 appearances in the French league helped PSG finish bottom of their Champions League group and ninth in the table. Anelka clashed with head coach Luis Fernandez. He was loaned out to Liverpool. And that concludes my worst bit of transfer business. Dan, do you think Anelka was misunderstood here or was he a serious problem player? I would say that, you know, he was a genius and he probably should have, clubs probably should have made a bit more room for him, but not misunderstood in terms of some of his transfer dealings. He let his brothers get involved there and much the matchman saying there about uh, Canal Plus and Nike sort of doing the deal. It just stinks and no wonder he couldn't settle when he had all these... Um, all these people and companies controlling his career from the outside probably should have stayed at Arsenal. He only gives Madrid one season. This is real Madrid. You've just won the Champions League. You need to give it a go. And then Paris Saint-Germain, he's clearly got the hump. He doesn't want to be there again. And he doesn't do the business. Bottom of the Champions League group, mid-table finish in League One. Uh, terrible. And I think he just needed to get away from certain people, certain businesses and settle down. Dan has looked back now at the teams that didn't qualify and the teams who flattered to deceive in the group stages. 
Thank you, Stephen. And I'm going to start from the third qualifying round, the final round to get into the Champions League proper. And the shock of the round has to be Inter Milan losing 1-0 on aggregate to Little Helsingborg. Leeds got past a sticky tie with 1860 Munich, only lodgers compared to Bayern Munich in Germany, winning 3-1 on aggregate. Other surprises included Stun Grants beating Feyenoord, Anderlecht defeating Porto, and St. Gallen pushing crafty Turks Galatasaray all the way before finally and heroically losing 4-3 on aggregate. No shocks elsewhere with AC Milan, Glasgow Rangers, Lyon, Valencia, all qualifying. All in all, an exciting qualifying round with goals in every tie with extra time only being needed in one game between Shakhtar Donetsk, who beat Slavia Prague 2-1 after extra time. But again, I have to go back, and I still can't get over to this day, how Helsingborg kept two clean sheets against Inter Milan and beat them 1-0 across two legs. This is an Inter Milan team with 16 strikers on their books. The most dominant group stage teams were Arsenal Lazio, who finished both with 12 points in Group B. Real Madrid and Valencia both topped their groups comfortably, bouncing off their brilliant 1999-2000 season where they got to the final. And a determined Bayern Munich, came top of Group F with PSG in second place. The group stage has also almost seen the exit of Manchester United, who had to beat Dynamo Kiev in their last game to qualify for the second group stage and squeeze through 1-0. This would lead to Roy Keane calling out the Manchester United fans and accusing some of them of eating prawn sandwiches rather than supporting the team. The first group stage seen great individual performances from Pauletta, Luis Figo, Pavel Nedved, Thierry Henry, Andrei Chevchenko, Alan Smith, Giovanni Elber, Geiska Mendieta, and Dutch destroyer Roy McKay, just to name a few. What a Champions League this has been. Goals galore in the first group phase, shocks in the qualifiers, and it set us up nicely for the second group and further on. Helsingborg knocking out the mighty Inter Milan in the third qualifying round. It really was the shock of the whole round. I was looking at Inter Milan's firepower. Now, they were without the injured Ronaldo and Vieri, but they still were able to call upon Hakan Suker, Robbie Keane, Ivan Zamorano, Alvaro Lacoba, and they still couldn't get a goal across two legs. They also had Clarence Seedorf, Zanetti, Lauren Blanc at the back. You know, this was a very, very strong Inter Milan team. Just a poor pre-season then leading into a very big game. And they just took it too lightly. Helsingborg with a 1-0 lead from the first game. And they went to the San Siro and they dug deep. Uh, I've watched the highlights of this game and they kept Inter Milan at bay comfortably enough. They really, really defended well. Was, there was no buses parked, was there? Four buses were parked, no doubt, because Inter <laughs> Milan, I think, uh, had 10 strikers on the pitch in the second leg, given the strength and depth that they had. But, uh, oh, serious upset and... Although, you know, from a neutral fan's point of view, you want the very best teams in the group stages, you have to hold your hands up when you see stories like this and say fair play. We're going to look at Leeds United as, as they move through the tournament here. And we have to mention this game in the third qualifying round. You know, they, they beat 1860 Munich with, with a depleted team, 3-1 on aggregate. Yeah, 1860 Munich weren't quite the, the old lodgers that they are these days where they have to rent their stadium off by Munich. But back at this time... They were a big club in Germany, had some good players. Um, I actually forgot that Leeds had to qualify, given with the top three being automatic nowadays. So it was very good to go back and look at that. David O'Leary's Leeds had a lot of injuries throughout the 2000-2001 season, so he really had to use his squad. He wasn't afraid to use young players. And I don't think they looked in danger at any 
any point across the two legs haven't gone back and, and watched the goals and highlights. We will be back to cover one of the first group stages, best games between Barcelona and AC Milan. But first, here's a lovely goal from the Champions League 2000-2001. Juventus settling well here. Missing leader Conte as he's way getting a hair transformation. Van der Sar with a crazy Dutch ball to beer goggles egg for Davids. Finds Zidane. He tries to find Nzagi, but he's 83 yards offside. Slips it out wide for the overlapping Pesto Pesotto. His cross deflects off Kovac, the Croat warrior. Corner to the old lady. No, not Mrs. Doubtfire. Juventus. Del Boy Piero takes the set piece. It's a very crowded box in there. Even Tony Yaboa is back there trying to help out. Crossed into the box. Tudor rises high above it. Oh, score! His header powers past Bot in the goals. No, not Nicky. Tudor runs and he runs. Will you stop and celebrate with your teammates? It's Hamburg nil, Juventus won. Dan O'Mac took a look at the Spanish giants Barcelona against one of his favourite Italian gelatos, AC Milan. Dan, what happened between these two powerhouses in the first group stage of the Champions League? Thank you, Stephen. And an excellent game. We got the witness here at a packed San Siro. Both teams giving it a good, good attacking rattle. Even AC Milan, who you would think would have sat back a bit more. But Barcelona came as well in full flow, ready to attack the very experienced Milan defence. AC Milan would line up with Christian Abiati in goals. Paolo Maldini, Alessandro Costa-Curta, Roque Jr. and Francesco Coco at the back. A midfield three of Uncle Albertini. Gennaro Gattuso and Massimo Ambrosini and a front three of Andrei Chevchenko, Nusain and Jose Marie and Oliver Bierhoff. Barcelona would land also with a 4-3-3 with Richard Dutreal in goals, Abelardo, Puyol, Philip Cocu and Sergi at the back, Xavi, Luis Enrique and Emmanuel Petit in midfield for Barcelona with a front three of little Portuguese winger Samao, Rivaldo and Alfonso. Barcelona started the better and carried more attacking threat than Milan with Rivaldo in inspired form. And he fired a lovely free kick past Abiati on 19 minutes. One of those ones that fooled the wall. Nowadays, you would see a man behind the wall, but not on this night. The wall jumped, the ball went through with power and Abiati dived way too late. This would only serve to inspire AC Milan as they quickly woke up to catch Barcelona having a power nap across a seven-minute spell. Midway through the first half, with Milan legend and star of only fools and horses, Dimitrio Uncle Albertini, hitting a brace with two lovely finishes, both outside the box, and won a free kick, drilling it straight into the net, giving Space Cadet Dutrial absolutely no chance. Three minutes later, however, Barcelona quickly equalised, with the third free kick of the game, when Rivaldo fired past Abiati once more, although Abiati can count himself very unlucky, as the ball crashed against the crossbar, came off, hit his back and went into the net. Rivaldo didn't even celebrate. He was slightly embarrassed. However, you'll take everything you can get at the San Siro. This unbelievable first half was still not over when Paolo Maldini swung in a dangerous cross for Summerstein and Jose Marie to slot past the hapless Dutrial to give AC Milan a 3-2 half-time lead. What a game of football. The second half resumed with both Abiati and Dutrial smoking their half-time pancakes in the hope to not concede any more goals. And this would turn out to be true for one of these two space cadets. Bierhoff, Chevchenko and Madman Rocky Jr. would all have chances for AC Milan, but it was Barcelona who would get the final goal of the game 
With 20 minutes to go, it would be Rivaldo, the Masters of the Universe villain, who would fire past Abiati once more when he scored a diving header from a wonderful piece of play from little fullback and tiny man Sergi, who skint Francesco Coco and sent in an irresistible ball that Rivaldo could not miss. This entertaining game finished 3-3 with legends on show, goals galore, and set up a fantastic battle in the group stages between AC Milan, Barcelona and many other clubs across this wonderful Champions League. An unbelievable group game here, Mush. Dan mentioned the Masters of the Universe villain Skeletor, also known as Rivaldo, uh, notching here for Barcelona. He was a real tormentor of many a European side. He was indeed. I've never looked at Rivaldo as a bad guy, but now Dano has put that image in my head. I'm going to look at him twice now, next time I see him in a football clip. Dan, you mentioned uh, Uncle Albertini there. Player I don't know too much about, as he probably had his glory days in the sort of early 90s, is that right? And he's sort of swan song here? A bit of a swan song in terms of his AC Milan career. He would start to begin to be used more of a squad player than an automatic choice, of course, you know, which he would have been in those great early 90s Milan sides. And um, he actually moves to Barcelona for Frank uh, Rijkaard's first season. Helps steady the ship at Barca later on. So uh, he was a wonderful player. He scored two absolutely cracking goals in this game. One of them's from about 40 yards out, isn't it? Oh, he just he just comes to him and he takes a touch and he drills it. And Duke Real has absolutely no chance. And then obviously he's fired up, he's confident, he's feeling good. And he scores a lovely free kick then. Um, better than Rivaldo's two free, free kicks as well in terms of the the style and finish. Um, he had a brilliant game on the night and he, he was a lovely player to watch. A very cool midfielder, got about well, sort of an old throwback, a box-to-box man, you know, could score goals, could defend and a great engine. Mosh, this Barcelona side, do you think it was a side in transition? After the, the sale of Figo to better rivals Madrid, probably one of the most controversial transfers of all time, starting to turn the corner. A lot of Dutch influence in there, Dan. He was got at the seed de Beer, go to, uh, to Rangers. The Spain was there. You could see that they were starting to purr. They still had, you know, clavered up top, Rivaldo. Starting to get there. There was a very young Xavi included in the team here. The Barcelona fans weren't the biggest fans of Xavi starting out, Dan. No, they weren't. Didn't see where he would fit into the team, you know. And he was booed a few times as well, which was very, very harsh on a young player. But he was shifted about a lot in, in his early days. Van Gaal was a big fan of his. But he would be playing right back. He would be playing right midfield. He'd be playing as part of a diamond. There was a lot of changes in the system around Barcelona at the time. And he was just not ready. Um, but they had their injury uh, problems with... Guardiola back then and then Petit didn't really work out as a signing so Xavi was thrown in maybe more than he should have been as a young player instead of coming in for a few games and then coming back out but as we all know um, he comes good in the end Just to mention the, the kits here uh, Dan you have the away Milan kit on today but this home jersey was a fine jersey Oh cracking jersey um, I just think AC Milan players look cool in their kits don't they? The Italian hair the tape on the socks those black shorts the black socks the red and black stripes on the kit. I can't think of a bad AC Milan kit. Very well made, very well done, whether it was Lotto or Adidas. And they always looked the business going out there on the field. And Mush, what did you make of this Barcelona? I don't know if it's their second or third strip, but this sort of a silver tinfoil. I'm sure they weren't actually wearing tinfoil. A nicer Barcelona away kit considered to previous years were... Sometimes I've looked at them and I swore I'm looking at a pack of ice lollies. 
because they've had some outrageous colours. The silver kit suited Rivaldo's bad gay tag. It's match of the week. Bloody hell. Hello and welcome to Match of the Week. It's all over at Ellen Road between Leeds and Lazio. What has happened? Mush the matchman. Yes, Steve. Ellen Road has been treated to a six-goal feast. No, not the multi-pack of lollies and this so-called dead rubber. Well, the only dead rubber was the flat tyre on the bicycle that Peter Ridsdale used to cycle to the ground as he's too tight to spend his own money on a vehicle. No doubt he will claim mileage for his tour of Yorkshire. I was thinking pre-kickoff I had pulled the short straw, being sent to a game with nothing on the line, so I packed two flasks of tea, a packet of toffee pops, and the latest edition of Shoot Magazine. Well, how bloody wrong was I? Egg on my face. No, that's Peter Brackley, who's sitting a few metres away from me, and he has inhaled his egg and onion sandwich. A 3-3 draw leads and Lacho have dished out, Clean sheets are overrated. With Leeds already qualified and couldn't win the group mathematically impossible, David O'Leary wearing a suit looks to be from Burton's. Who's purchased this for him? Well, this is the year 2001 and Leeds enjoy spending money and Ridsdale has treated his manager. No doubt it's on the tick. Well, O'Leary decided to rotate his team. Alan kissed the badge, I'll never leave Smith and Eric Baca. Both not risks as they're only one booking away from missing the quarterfinal first leg. Wise move, O'Leary. Rio, Crayola, Tip, Hereford, and not in the squad. And Decor and Batty, both on the bench. Still no Lucas Redibi. He's injured, but the Chief has been seen diving around his back garden as he enjoys being a keeper. In starts for Alan Maybury and Jacob Burns. No relation to Monty Burns. And also a start for Jason Wilcox. Still, there was talent, experience and international connections in this Leeds United side. Irish fullbacks, Ian, how do you mend a broken heart? And Gary, six-pack of Kellys. Harry, Kuhl, the Jewel and Mark Faduka were also in the side. And at the heart of Leeds' defence was Eminem. No, not the Peanuts, despite their head shapes. It's Mills and Mario looking like a young Phil and Grant. Lazio, already eliminated, have left a lot of big players at home. Veron, Nesta, Poborski, the Yellow Weasel, Simeone, and Lombardo. Mind you, Lombardo may have been too old to travel. With Lazio playing Juventus this weekend, Dito's off, who replaced horny Swedes, Fengoran Eriksson, who has took the English job, it's coming home, has decided to have a cigar and a pancake and plays whatever happens, it happens 11. Still no Peruzzi, as he has a broken finger, suffered from bowling with Francesco Toldo and Giles Grimondi. The white feather Ravinelli handed a rare start. The first effort of the game fell to inform Lee GBH Bowyer after good work. The ball was worked to Viduca, a man who looks like Lindsay Davenport. Well, he served up Bowyer, who smashed the ball over the bar. Was it a bad effort? Yes. Did he try to hit a fan in row W? Maybe. Lazio then had their first chance of the game and they took it. Nedved was roaming, giving Wilcox the cold squats and left him on his bottom. He played a 1-2 down the left, crossed with an invite for Tipex head Ravinelli to score one of the easiest headers in his career, including his time at Middlesbrough. Question marks over M&M peanuts at the back. 
Leeds nil at you one after 21 minutes. But it didn't take long for Leeds to respond. Harry Kuhl, the jewel, tried a cross. It was blocked, but the ball bounced back to the ex-home and away star. And he passed with a diving header to Bowyer, who was surely too wide out to hit a shot. Well, young Lee curled the ball over the keeper and into the net. Was it a cross? Who knows? A fine goal from a fine young player. His sixth Champions League goal of this campaign. If only Lee could tidy up his off-field antics. Leeds won. Lazio won. Only a minute later, Leeds were undone by a long diagonal ball. Ravinelli, the white feather, felt the bad breath of Matteo on his shoulder and he hit the deck on the 18-yard line, which actually matches Ravinelli's hair. The ref pointed to the spot, a cheap foul, and surely was outside the box. Up stepped Mihailovic, a man whose left foot is insured for the same amount a mob boss would put a hit on you after you'd missed a payment. Left boot, goal! Robinson, no chance. Nigel Martin on the Leeds bench, fuming. Leeds won, Lazio two. Ian, how do you fix a broken heart? Whipped a creamy 99 of a corner in, met by the head of Bowyer, straight at the Lazio keeper. Ian, owner of a lonely heart, then whipped in another 99 with an extra flake on it, Wilcox connected with a lovely volley from seven yards out to hit it into the bottom corner of the net. Lazio had Castroman standing on the post. I'd rather the scatman on the post. As Wilcox's strike went through his legs, shut them. Leeds two, Lazio two. In the second half, Leeds were pushing for the winner like Ridsdale would push through a transfer. They won a free kick and that beautiful left peg of Ian. How do you mend a broken heart? He whipped out the sandwich. He digged the ball into Paducah. And Mark Davenport served up Wilcox, who tried his luck again. But this time, his shot hit the back of Baruni. Leeds really on top now. What did O'Leary give these players at halftime? I hear shirt sponsor Strongbow provided each player with a free pint. Only for Leeds legend Lee Sharp to down them all. Gary Dependable Kelly enjoying his more advanced role on the right wing. Fired in a cross. Bowyer tried to connect with a Mark Hughes type folly, but he failed miserably. Bowyer everywhere tonight on the pitch. Finally, Leeds broke Lazio. Ian, my heart will go on. His 28th set piece of the game. A cracking delivery was met by the nut of Faduka, who aced it into the net. Leeds 3, Lazio 2. Was this to be game set on the match? A young Hackworth came on for Leeds and hacked a cross in for Kuhl. Kuhl the jewel, he headed it straight at the keeper. Kuhl wearing long sleeve and gloves, a questionable attire this evening. Leeds then had Paul Chocolate wrist Robinson to keep them in the game as Mihailovic's free kick, which deflected off Bowyer, was tipped wide. But deep into injury time, Lazio won a free kick. Mihailovic stepped up. And a fine, burling, curling effort hit the net. Paul Robinson, no chance. The full-time whistle ended in a Bobby Dazzler of a game. Six goals, Bowyer everywhere. Vaduka is a unit. Eminem peanuts at the back. And Ian broke my heart. Has a wand of a left foot. The Serie A champions have bigger fish to fry on Saturday as they play Juventus. Leeds' great campaign continues. Who will they get in the quarterfinal draw? David O'Leary's lads go to the Valley at the weekend. It's finished here. Leeds United 3, Lazio 3. Back to you in the studio, Steve. Thank you, Mush. You thought you were going to have an easy night tonight with Leeds already qualifying, but my God, you've had a great time at Allen Road. 
this one was supposed to be a dead rubber. Oh, what a game of football. Two squads just going at it. Lazio, well, out. Leeds going through. Just all 22 players said, you know what? We're going to have a game tonight. We're going to go for it. We're going to go at each other. We're going to entertain the crowd. And that's exactly what we got. Brilliant game. Some mad selections here by David O'Leary with Danny Mills and Dominic Matteo, the centre-half pairing. Have you seen that before the game? Would you have thought, oh, no. Oh, definitely, particularly Mills in there, you know, moving from right back to centre back. I wouldn't have thought he'd have been able to play there. Uh, Matteo, he played a wide range of roles for Leeds United that season. He played left midfield, he played holding man, he played left back, and here he is tonight playing centre back. He was a, a good uh, a good squad signing for David O'Leary for a few years. If it was Robin Elliott, I'd have been rubbing my hands, certainly, thinking I was going to get a goal or two on the night. The Irish conveyor belt of fine fullbacks continued here with Ian Hart and his lovely necklace. Uh, Mush yes. mentioned the, I think it was 82 set pieces that he had on the night, but he had a wand of a left foot. Oh, he had a, wa- he had a brilliant left foot. And I'm not going to criticise Hart here too much because there's plenty of them, but he wasn't the best defender. But what he offered leads going forward in terms of his corners, all sorts of free kicks in terms of delivery and um, scoring on his own. And he also was their penalty taker for a long period of time as well. Brilliant fullback, did really well for Leeds. His uncle played right back as well, Gary Kelly. So, <laughs> so the family links there with Leeds as well. Ireland at that time, I mean, they had Hart, Irwin, Kelly, Carr, Finnan. You know, they could have had a team of brilliant fullbacks. Unbelievable. Lee Bowyer putting his stamp on the tournament yet again. He was a real Rolls Royce here in the Champions League, something that too many fans might not appreciate, how good he was at getting about the pitch and how good he was at passing. He was as fit as a fiddle and for my money at that time, I would say I'd say to David Beckham, he was England's best bet for a right midfielder because of the form he was in. He scored six goals in the Champions League this season. His effort alone carried leads in a couple of games when they were really struggling for injuries. He played in the middle of the park some nights. He played obviously in his natural position, right midfield. On this night again, he's impressing. He just kept, he just keeps going. You know what I mean? He keeps going for Leeds. And he brought a bit of balance with, you know, Viduka wouldn't have been the hardest worker. Kuehl was allowed to be the creative spark and have a bit of a free role. So they really needed Boyer's industry as well as his skill. Lazio brought a depleted squad. I'm not sure how he made it onto the pitch, but Ravinelli rolled back the years. Unbelievable. Um he moves back to Lazio. Robin Elliott had a few mad moves in the later stages of his career. But to see him on the pitch would have been a surprise, given the, the, the firepower that Lazio had. You know, that Salas and Claudio Lopez this season too. Things hadn't worked out. And I think he probably played because he had Premier League experience, you know, and it was kind of a bit of a reward from the Lazio management to say, oh, look, here, we're out. Fabrizio can do the business. He's done the business in England before. We're going to give him a game tonight. And uh, I fair play to him, gets his goal, and he, he was a he's a very good striker and it deserved his goal in the night. I thought he played really well. Leads comfortably through here then. Were you a fan? There's obviously two group stages here, so there's probably a lot of dead games. Obviously, this one ended up being a bit of an exhibition and a crack. Are you a fan of these two group stages? No, I wasn't a fan of the two group stages. It should have been what it is now, just one group stage and then straight in the knockout. What the second group stage did bring was exposure to a lot of clubs across Europe. You know, you have 
the likes of Sturm Grants who got into the second group phase on their left. It gave them great exposure, great financial clout to hang with the big boys, even if it was only for a short period of time. This was a fantastic game, obviously, but there was a lot of games that didn't count as the year the years would have gone on with the second group stage, you know, after sort of four or five games. The second group phase didn't last too long. It lasted four seasons, so I think that tells its own story. Those against the Wolves. This week's Balls Against the Wall quiz is sponsored by the ball that Raul punched past Nigel Martin in Real Madrid's game v Leeds in the 2001 Champions League season. Raul felt so bad about the goal after the game that he decided to give the ball to Big Nigel as a way of apology. Oh, what a ball. Welcome to the Balls Against the Wall quiz, the quiz where I pit Dan against Mush to see who has the best football knowledge. We've got a real tie on our hands now. It's 4-2 to Dan, so Mush is slowly working his way back. Today, lads, the quiz is a Champions League 2000-2001 special, and before we go any further, we need some player buzzers. And this week, the player buzzers are the names of players who scored in this year's Champions League. Dan, what is your player buzzer? Smith! I presume that's Alan. There wasn't any other Smith who no, scored. only Alan Smith, yeah. Only, only the one Smith. Brilliant. Mush, what is your player buzzer? Ravinelli! Oh, the Silver Fox gets a mention. Love it. As ever, lads, we have a Champions League great coming back to keep the scores for us. It's Ua Cantona. Hello, Eric. Great to have you back, Eric. Did you enjoy the Champions League? I am Cantona. Oh, excellent, Eric. Good to hear. The winner of this week's quiz will get a copy of the number two in the album chart from this week. So it's not just one song. It's a whole plethora of songs. And you'll be glad to know it's the greatest hits of one of Dan's favourites, Mick Hocknell, Simply Red. Oh, love Mick Hocknell. I'm going to need this album. You will know when the quiz is over when you hear this noise. Absolute load of nonsense. Absolute load of nonsense. Question one. Who was the manager of Bayern Munich? Smith. Yes, Dan. Otmar Hitzfeld. Correct. What sports brand made the kits for Valencia? Smith. Yes, Dan. Nike. Correct. In the first group stage, Milan and Leeds topped Group H. Who were dumped into the UEFA Cup in Group H? Smith. Yes, Dan. Besiktas. Incorrect. Mush. Barcelona. Correct. Lee Bowyer scored six goals in the tournament. Which other English player also scored six goals? I think Dan just... Paul Scholes? Correct. Where did the Champions League final take place? Smith. Yes, Dan. The San Siro. Correct. Who managed Real Madrid? Smith. Yes, Dan. Vincent Del Bosque. Correct. Oh. Who sponsored the shirts of Manchester United? Robinelli. Yes, Mush. Hold a phone. Correct. Which Valencia striker made the most appearances in the competition? Smith. Yes, Dan. John Carew. Correct. With 17 appearances. Whoa. Which Juventus star received a five-game ban for headbutting an opponent in the first group stage? Ravinelli. Yes, Mosh. Trezeguet. Incorrect. Dan. Tudor at the back. Incorrect. It was someone who went on to headbutt somebody else later on. Zinedine Zidane. Zidane. Jeez, he loved the headbutt. He had previous. Um, (laughs) Where did Lazio play their home games? Ravinelli. Yes, Mush. Stadio dell'Alpe. Incorrect. Dan. Pass. Can't can't come to me. It's the Stadio Olimpico. Oh, 
Oh, Jesus, might have punched myself in the face. Who was Lazio's top scorer in the competition with five goals? Miss Ravinelli. Yes, Dan. Crespo. Incorrect. Mush. Claudio Lopez. Correct. Absolute load of nonsense. Absolute load of nonsense. Let's go over to Ua with the scores. What are the scores, Eric? One, two, Dan. Wait. It's 8-3 to Dan, an absolute stormer from our very own uh, football encyclopedia. Dan, are you happy? I'm absolutely over the moon. Win the quiz is always nice, but the win the simply red greatest hits is an absolute treat. And I'm off to the foreground now this evening, lads. This week's Madman of the Week is Lee Bowyer. Certain fans referred to him as Rat Boy as they said he had ferret faced features. At 19, signed by Howard Wilkinson, he was missing home and couldn't cook, lived off curry pot noodles. In his fifth game into his Leeds career, Bowyer smacked a shot that hit off a defender and smacked Lee in the face. Lee out cold, he couldn't see. He woke up after an operation to the news of one, Howard Wilkinson had resigned, and two, he may not be able to see again. Enter George Graham. Bowyer was benched after a poor approach to Graham's defensive expectations. Even though he was coming off the bench and scoring, George wanted to instill discipline into Bowyer's game. A quality Lee would swallow up and spit back out. Bowyer is quoted as saying, you have to try step away from the game when you can, as otherwise you can go mad. Lee, too late for that one. A young lad at Leeds, he was convicted of an affray and fined £4,500 after an incident at a McDonald's where Bowyer abused a staff member and was caught on CCTV throwing chairs. After being kept out of the Leeds team by Haaland and Hopkin, Bowyer fought his way into the starting eleven. He would be a key player for Leeds in the 1999-2000 season, just as Bowyer was becoming a vital part of the Leeds spine along with Jonathan Woodgate. The two were out on the tails and an altercation with a student who was left with severe injuries. Both men were charged with GBH. The first trial collapsed. The second trial, Bowyer was cleared of all charges. Bowyer sometimes would go straight from court to play for Leeds. Bowyer did get away from Leeds United as he signed for West Ham. This went down like a cold cup of tea with certain Hamish fans who protested outside the bowling ground Upton Park to Dr. Martin's Arena, Blowing Bubble Stadium, whatever you want to call it. Well, it was only a six-month deal to the Hammers' relief. Bowyer then packed his bag and headed up to the northeast as Newcastle acquired his sin-free services. His time in Newcastle was going smoothly until that incident with Kieran Dyer. In a game at St. James's Park where Newcastle were 3-0 down to Aston Villa and also down to 10 men as Stephen Taylor was sent off after a shot by Darius Fassell, a man who cried in an England jersey, it's coming home, wise up. The shot struck Taylor in the hand, but Taylor hit the deck holding his gut, trying to con the ref, but he didn't. Red card. Well, frustration of this Magpie's performance boiled over, and with 10 minutes to go, Bowyer was getting peed off as he had asked and showed for the ball on several occasions from Dyer. Bowyer asked, why won't you pass me the ball? Dyer replied, the reason I don't pass to you is because you're shit, basically. Very ballsy stuff from Sick Note Dyer. He must not have been aware of Bowyer's past. Bowyer didn't react kindly and pushing his head towards Sick Note, 
a grapple which Kurt Angle would have rolled his eyes to, followed Dyer with a palm push, thinking it was sub-zero from Mortal Kombat. This prompted two Tommy gun punches from Bowyer. Just as we thought we were going to be treated to a slobber knocker, the players from both teams stepped in. Bowyer with a ripped jersey and Dyer with a dislocated eyelash, both showing red cards. Newcastle finished the game with eight players. You think that would have been case closed, a phrase Bowyer was used to in his life. But no, both men continued to tussle in the tunnel and had to be separated by Kevin Keegan and Faustino Asprea. Graham Sudis, Magpies Gaffler offered both players a fight. They both declined. Both men were made publicly apologise after the game. Bowyer came off worse and was fined six weeks wages. Sudis blamed Bowyer for the scuffle and Newcastle even appealed Dyer's red card. In 2014, Dyer said that his relationship with Bowyer was healthy. He said, that's just the way Lee was, but he's still a good fella, but I still want to beat him up. While at Birmingham City, he was forced to apologise after clashing with a West Brom fan for his rash challenge on Gabriel Tomas. Another incident occurred while at Birmingham, which was not seen by the ref. Bowyer stamped on Sagna. A three-match ban was given. He did have a few honours. He was in the PFA Team of the Year in 95-96 season twice Leeds United Player of the Year. He got promoted with Birmingham City. He won the League Cup in 2011 as Birmingham stunned Arsenal. And since retirement, Bowyer loves to fish. He got a phone call from the Thunder from down under Harry Kuhl about getting into coaching. He now manages Charlton, where he likes to verbally fight officials and the Charlton board. My mad man of the week is Lee Bowyer. We will be back with another cracking game. It's a quarterfinal tie between the Turkish delights Galatasaray <laughs> and the Galacticos Real Madrid. But first, here's another beautiful goal from that Champions League 2000-2001. Dispossessed by Raimondo Paula. He finds Canu. Hard not to find his big dangly frame. Canu's first touch on a size 22 boot. Sees the Iceman Bergkamp. Floats it over Lazio's midfield and into the box. Bergkamp to Lundberg. Goal for Arsenal. The pressure pays off. And they have unlocked the Lazio door and breached Peruzzi in goals. A man with a broken finger. Well, don't think he would have stopped that. Clive Tilsley and Ron Atkinson beside me have dropped the notes everywhere. It's Arsenal 1, Lazio 0. So now we're on to the quarter-final matchup between Galatasaray and Real Madrid. It's an absolute cracker. And Mush, I believe your mate Chip is back. Yes, Steve, my good old mucker Chip, the football brain, the enthusiast, the god, my friend and yours, Chip. Hey guys, I was so pumped to watch this Super Champions Cup game between Galatasaray and the Real Madrid. I got so many tasty snacks in to watch the game, guys. I got some Twizzlers, a tub of Basket Robins, a 12 box of Dunkin' Donuts, and some cherry pie. Mush the Matchman recommended I go for some Poo-Tang pie, but I only go for that at the weekend. Let's go through the rosters. Galatasaray's starting pitchers were Tafarel Lagoli, defensive linebackers Al Capone, Poppinskew, Korkmaz, and Pembe. The offensive line had Burak, Kaya, Davala, and SAS, while Haji was in the holding bowl and Jardel led the line. The Real Madrid started with Casillas in the Onions, a defense of Mick Salgado, Fernando Hero, Carranca, and Thunder Thighs, Robert Carlos. The offense included Alguera and Cloud Make Lili, while Coach Del Bosco went all out attack, picking Lou Figo, Raul, Steve McMahon on man, 
and Morientes. Gala were happy to defend very deep in the opening stages, parking the pickup truck in front of Taffy, the goalie. They tried to catch Del Bosco's side on the break, but apart from a few long-range sizzlers from George Hadji, they failed to test 12-year-old Casillas in the onion bag. The Real Madrid could have got a point on the board in the 28th minute, following good play down the left from Robert Carlos and Steve McMahon on man, but Lou Figo shot a foot wide of the post with his weak-ass left foot. He made amends five minutes later by playing a crucial part in the first touchdown. The peri-peri winger whipped in a delightful free kick from the right 20-yard line, and Helguera sprung up like Magic Johnson to head powerfully past Taffy the goalie for his fifth goal of the Super Champions Cup. Gallo were still on the back foot when the visitors notched a crucial second just before the halftime show. Carlos's long throw was nodded down by Raul into the path of Cloud Lee and the Frenchie strode past a couple of dumbass takedowns before driving the soccer ball under Taffy the goalie. Then, McLeely turned Iron Man to Thanos just two minutes after the halftime show with a takedown on SAS in the end zone. And the referee, Pierre Luigi Colina, also known as Kojak, called illegal. Davala stepped up and scuffed the pen into the corner. Taffy the goalie had no chance mainly because he uses a walking stick. The home team poured forward. Samba guy Jardel came close with two headers before SAS sent the Turkish crowd into mayhem with a deserved equalization. Replacement player Fatty Akyel raced down the right before squaring the ball to SAS, who slam-dunked the soccer ball low past the high school student Iker Casillas. With 15 minutes to go on the clock, the comeback was complete. Perhaps the greatest comeback since Super Bowl 51 when the Patriots came from 25 points down to beat the Falcons. Akyel burst down the wing again, delivering an inch-perfect cross for Jardel, who rose above Fernando Hero to head home. How do you like them apples? In the post-game interviews, the real Madrid coach Del Bosco said something in Spanish I didn't understand, and Galatasaray coach Lukescu didn't say anything at all. He was too busy dancing and eating a giant bar of Turkish delight. Gala record a famous victory, and the Real Madrid franchise are left embarrassed. It finished at the Al Samiyan Stadium. Gala 3, the Real Madrid 2. I'm chipped on Levy. It's back to you in the studio, Simon. Uh, Mosh, I know I've asked this before and I keep forgetting, it's my fault, uh, but how did you meet Chip again? We're playing a five-a-side game down at the local sports centre. Our goalkeeper, who we used to call the sandbag, let us down. Chip had just came from the gym and I just asked him, here, do you fancy a game? He filled the bags. He was terrible. After the the five-a-side, he actually said he'd give me a lend of LMA manager, which I still have to this date. So that's how I met Chip. That's brilliant. So you, he didn't really lend you LMA monitor. You you just took it off him and kept it. Borrowed and didn't give back. Very good. Dan, an absolute cracking game here in Turkey. And you can imagine the Galatasaray fans just going absolutely berserk, creating a really hostile environment for Madrid. And this is one of the great Champions League comebacks. Yes, absolutely. And here, what a difficult place to go to. Istanbul was this sucked in many a, a great club and some painful defeats and painful memories. I don't think Madrid were fully at it, particularly second half. Galatasaray players 
inspired by their fans, just kept at it, kept plugging away and deserved the win on the night. What did you make of this Real Madrid side's chances of retaining their crown? I thought they'd agree a chance of retaining the crown. Um, they were rightly favourites. You know, they'd added the World Player of the Year, Figo, to the squad, although they did lose Anelka. They took that money and they bought also Magalele, Flavio Conceição. So they had real strength in the middle of the park as well. And they did have Raul and Morientes up front. And they were a brilliant front two. Very close friends. Uh, they were the front, chosen front two of, of Spain at the time also. Uh, McManaman was still going well. So no, I would have had Madrid down as favourites for the competition. Matchman, an inspired performance here by Galatasaray, and in particular one uh, Brazilian goalie. Well, I don't know how you feel about him, but uh, Tafarel. Brazil, not known for their goalkeepers, but I'd say Tafarel was one of their best. How he ended up in Turkey, God knows. Maybe he got offered six kilograms of Turkish delight. I don't know, but uh, Tafarel was a good keeper. Their victory here will be short-lived, though Dan Madrid ultimately went in the second leg 3-0. But Galatasaray can hold their heads high that, you know, they gave the, the defending champions a real rattle. Oh, they gave them a, a really good game. Just to think Galatasaray are like some clubs are just better at home, you know, inspired at home. They've got thousands of people behind them. And then you would often see from Galatasaray down the years as well, not just at this time. They would, they would be beat away from home quite often. Madrid, Bernabeu, they're 3-2 down. They've got to come out all guns blazing in the second leg. And they do that and they get through comfortably in the end. So the two away goals, I'm sure Madrid on the night disappointed to lose, but certainly looking to the second leg and saying, here, 1-0 does us. Am I right in saying that years later, the same result would happen when Drogba and Schneider were at Galatasaray? They beat Madrid 3-2? That's right, yeah. The 2013 Champions League campaign, yeah. 100% right. Those two legends playing for Galatasaray, having a wee, having a wee holiday over in Turkey. No, another exciting game in, in the two clubs' histories. This week's Maverick of the Week is Portuguese maestro Luis Figo and what a player he was. Luis's early career started with Sporting Lisbon in Portugal where he made his league debut in the 1989-90 season, winning his first international cap within just one year alongside fellow Portugal Golden Generation members João Pinto and Rui Costa. Luis was catching the eye of many clubs across Europe and it wasn't going to be too long before he would be poached from Lisbon. But this was very controversial as Figo signed for two Italian giants in the summer of 1995, when he put pen to paper for both Parma and Juventus. This resulted in a two-year Italian transfer ban for Figo and kept him at Lisbon, although not for much longer, as the mighty Barcelona would snap Figo up for the bargain bucket price of £2.25 million. It was at Barcelona that Figo's career would really take off when he won the 1997 Cup Winners' Cup in Sir Bobby Robson's famous Barcelona team, alongside Ronaldo, Ivan de la Pena, Nadal and Guardiola. Figo would captain Barcelona on many occasions and help them win back-to-back titles in 1998 and 1999, where he formed a lethal front three with Rivaldo and Patrick Clivert and was held in legendary status by Barcelona fans worldwide. This would all turn sour, however, in July 2000, when Figo made the quite unbelievable move of joining Real Madrid 
in a world record 62 million euro fee. To add salt to Barcelona's wounds, Figo would go on and win the Ballon d'Or in 2000, largely due to how he played in a Barcelona shirt the previous season. His first visit to the new camp was a disaster, as Figo was pelted with coins, pigs' heads, bottles, mobile phones and even knives. Somehow Figo was able to get through it, winning both admiration from Real Madrid players and teammates alike, with Ivan Campo commenting, I don't know how Lewis did that tonight. That man has balls. Figo spent five wonderful seasons with Real Madrid, winning everything in sight and playing alongside greats Ronaldo, Raul, Hierro, Beckham, Zidane, Guti, Michel Salgado and Roberto Carlos. Figo would finally get his wish to play in Italy in the summer of 2005 when he joined Inter Milan on a free transfer. And at the end of the 2008-2009 season, legend Javier Zanetti would give Luis Figo the honour of captaining Inter Milan in his last game for their Serie A title lift. Luis also had a wonderful Portugal career, having played in Euro 96, Euro 2000, World Cup 2002, Euro 2004, World Cup 2006, reaching two semi-finals and coming within a whisker of delivering victory in home soil at Euro 2004, with Portugal just missing out in the final, losing to Greece 1-0. His honours read as follows. Club game 792 with 136 goals. For his country, 127 caps with 32 goals. He won four La Ligas, two Copa del Reyes, one Super Copa, one Champions League, one Cup Winners' Cup, two UEFA Super Cups, one Intercontinental Cup, four Serie A's, one Copa Italia, six Portugal Player of the Years, one FIFA World Player of the Year, one Ballon d'Or. And an interesting stat for Figo is he's second in the all-time La Liga assist list behind the fantastic Lionel Messi. He was a fantastic dribbler, a scorer of wonderful goals, a creator of goals, and will be well remembered by football fans for years to come. My Maverick of the Week this week is Lewis Figo. Big Brucey's bedtime bath, nice and warm, full of suds, a scented candle, a rubber duck. In the bath, Brucey don't give a dreams of passes to be. Dreams of passes to be. Okay, Dan, I've got the story ready. Can you just check that Brucey's ready in his bath? Oh, good man, Brucey. Oh, you're already in there. Happy days. I don't have the hustlers chasing you around the bathroom. Nice 30-minute bath this evening. Good night's sleep. Nice bit of dinner because tomorrow you're a guest on ATV's On The Ball where you'll be joining Gabby Logan and Barry Venison in the studio to review this week's Champions League action. Absolutely magic. I know you're going to enjoy that, Brucey, so look forward to that. Okay, Brucey, this week's story is by David O'Leary. After the tough Premiership game at Highbury on the Saturday, we stayed overnight near St Albans to give the players a chance to rest before travelling to Spain for the second leg. It was there that I received a call on the Monday afternoon with bombshell news from UEFA. Although Pierre-Luigi Colina, the world's top referee, had chosen not to punish our player during the match, Lee Bowyer had been spotted on television in a clash with Valencia's Sanchez in the first leg, and UEFA's disciplinary commission had decided that he must serve an immediate three-match ban for violent conduct, a ban that would exclude him from the second Valencia game and from the final. 
If we were to reach that stage, I was stunned. We couldn't afford to lose a Lee. It was a terrible blow for him as well as for our chances. We studied the video and it was ludicrous to claim that Lee had stamped on his opponent. The Valencia player had fallen underneath him and the only genuine contact was when Bowyer accidentally trod on the Spaniard because he couldn't avoid him. We started well against Valencia, but the warning signs were there after just three minutes when Nigel Martin was called on to make a good save from Mendieta. They took the lead after just 16 minutes with a goal from that man Sanchez that was clearly a handball. If he wasn't quite as blatant as Real Madrid's Raul had been a few weeks earlier, there was no doubt that the Valencia forward had used his arm to deflect a driven cross from skipper Mendieta, the blonde Spaniard who was inspirational to the home side as he made his 300th appearance for the club. We battled on, and at halftime I told the lads that realistically nothing had changed. We only needed to score one goal to get through to the final, provided of course that we didn't concede any more. I believed we could do it. But we went out in the second half and just fell to pieces. We gave away a poor goal immediately after the interval and then let in a third in the 52nd minute. It was a heartbreaking way to go out of the competition after so many moments of unbridled glory. If we could dispute Valencia's opening goal, we gave them their second on a platter. It was Sanchez again. This time we backed off suicidally as he collected possession and raced forward. Nobody attempted to close him down as he fired a low shot from 25 yards past Nigel Martin. It was a cheap goal to give away in such a precious game. Mendieta had actually let us off a few minutes earlier by overrunning Aymar's pinpoint pass, but he made amends with Valencia's third, driving home a powerful shot with his left foot. So, for Leeds, Europe was over. It goes without saying that we were all bitterly disappointed. It started on the 9th of August 2000 and ended on the 8th of May 2001. Nobody had thought we would come close to real glory, so near and yet so far. We had travelled 17,100 miles across Europe making many friends, maybe a few enemies, but undoubtedly spreading the word that Leeds United had to be recognised as one of the burgeoning talents in the world game. It had been an unforgettable adventure throughout our campaign, wherever we were, and whoever we were facing, the questions from journalists would be largely predictable, in particular the one about what I considered to be our most significant victory. Was it Lazio away or Anderlecht in Brussels? What about smashing six goals past Besiktas in a record equaling triumph? My answer, I think, left my inquisitors dissatisfied that the moment of European glory I savoured the most was our first, the qualifying round against Munich 1860, when our squad was devastated by injuries and I had to field perhaps the weakest team of the season. The fact that we knocked out the Germans with our resources at breaking point was hugely significant to me. That win may have lacked the spectacle of later victories, it was a tribute to my players and to our collective will to win. And it was a win that sent us on our journey across Europe, which nobody connected with Leeds will ever forget. Did you enjoy that, Brucey? Good. Now get to bed. Big day tomorrow with Barry Venison. Don't touch his mullet. Good night, Brucey. Sleep tight. And don't let Gary Pallister bite. <laughs> Y esta vez no sabemos a charlar, vaya pase por
So Leeds United ultimately um, fall at the semi-final stage after a hard-fought nil-nil draw down road. They come up short away to Valencia and lost 3-0 in the end. Dan, Leeds United were proud to go out at the semi-final stage. Absolutely. They had been the Premier League's best representatives this season with Manchester United and Arsenal falling short. And Leeds, I think... They got to a stage with their with their injuries that season. The squad was really, really stretched and they had a fantastic night in the quarterfinals in their home leg when they thumped Deportivo La Coruña um, 3-0. The second leg, Leeds lost 2-0, so they squeezed through. And then with, with, with the Valencia game, they got, a, I suppose you could say, a decent result 0-0 in the first leg. You know, you've still got hopes here. If we get an away goal, Valencia need two, so... It, not all negative in, in, in terms of drawing nil-nil at home. The wheels came off, um, beat 3-0 comfortably in the end by a very good Valencia team. But I just feel the lead squad, because of the injuries they had throughout the season, just ran out of a, a steam at the end at a, at a critical time. If they would have had their full strength 11, then on their day they could have given anyone a game. But for their debut season in the Champions League, they completely exceeded expectations. And they came up against a very good Valencia side that were very hard to break down. And that showed in the semi-finals as um, Leeds couldn't get the ball past Canisares. You know, for many Leeds fans, they thought that this was the start of the great Leeds dynasty and that they would be in the Champions League every year. But ultimately, Mush, this was just lightning in a bottle. I think then they lost their way a bit in the transfer market. I think O'Leary had done an incredible job, but uh, Ridsdale was an absolute He's up an absolute crook and then just bad recruitment and selling players, letting players go and then just their uh, bad dealings caught up with them in the end. I was reading a few stories from Leeds fans around this time researching this issue of the pod and one Leeds fan, the end of this season, was going to university and he'd had loads of different offers from all over the UK and America, but he decided to stay in Leeds and go to university in Leeds so that he could be close to Ellen Road for these big European nights. Got a season ticket to Ellen Road. When he went to university, Leeds had just finished their um, brilliant campaign in Europe. And when he left university, Leeds were in the championship. It's mad. Really is crazy. I mean, you know, I'm sure Leeds United will come up again. All things around this story. But much touched on it there and some of the wages they were paying at the time for players that ended up not delivering was criminal. I can understand Peter Reid still wanting the best for the club in terms of staying in the Champions League. But I think he wanted everything at once. He wanted to be possibly winning the Champions League, winning the Premier League. You know, trying to, He was trying to catch the best clubs in Europe. You can be applauded for that, but you have to do things the right way. He didn't and it cost the club dearly. You know, you say they're lightning in the bottle, but that is true. They, they weren't to get to the Champions League again, and really they should have. I mean, for me, what he should have done there, given that Ellen Road wasn't the, one of the biggest stadiums either, you know, you take in all the finances and you say, you know what, you say to David O'Leary, you say, you know what, let's just concentrate on being a top three to four club. Just steady it for a couple of years, and then we'll slowly build towards trying to win the title, and he just wanted everything too soon. So now we are at the final, and this one was between Valencia and the Germans, Bayern Munich. Hector Coupe, the famous Valencia manager here at this time, he lost the previous final. Could he go on to lift the European crown? Mush took a close look at the man, the manager, 
Hector Coupe. Hector Raul Coupe. A steely centre half back in his younger days, played over 500 games. He was only retired a year when he got into management and he won the South American equivalent of the UEFA Cup. Claudio Tinkerman Rieri said in early 1999 that he was leaving his post at Valencia and he wanted Coupe to be his successor. And he would, as Hector turned down a new contract from Mallorca and he took the hot seat at a warm Mestalla. His first action was to shift out Moonman Stefan Schwartz. And with the money raised from this, he was able to bring in Kili Gonzalez, Juan Sanchez and Pellegron. All would be key players at Valencia under Coupe. Coupe was a defensive-minded coach and he installed this at Valencia. This would be the basis for an extraordinary season. And in La Liga, they finished third Five points behind champions Deportivo. Valencia had the second best defence in La Liga. But more impressively was Coupe's navigation on an aggressively difficult Champions League campaign to reach the final. A very impressive first year for Coupe and a lot was built on his rock back lane. But Mendieta in midfield, he was their top scorer and he pulled the strings with Claudio Lopez up top always a threat. But just as they thought Valencia would kick on, they sold three key players, Lopez, Gerard, and holding Manfreds, raising 60 million euros in funds. A lot of this was used to invest in the squad and add numbers. Pablo Aymar, Jean Carew, Ayala, Vicente, and experienced Deschamps all came in. The defensive core was still there, and with the great addition of Ayala, Valencia had to get the campaign going via the qualifiers. Hector then guided them past their first group, topping it over Leon and only conceding four goals. They topped their second group over Manchester United and only shifted two goals and only lost one game in 12 in the competition to reach the quarters, where they gunned down Arsene Wenger's Arsenal, and in the semis they ended Leeds United's famous fairy tale. Three clean sheets and four legs of Champions League football. In 18 games to get to the final, Coupe's Rocks had only conceded nine goals. The final against Bayern was again a step too far, as they were denied by the lottery of penalties and angry Oliver Kahn. Mendieta, who scored in the final, was a key player and he had notched seven goals in that campaign and he also got player of the tournament, which seen Lazio pay a big fee for him in the summer of one. As for Hector Coupe, he would go on to manage Inter Milan, Parma and back to Betis to name a few. Also manage Egypt and Uzbekistan. His management career, he fell short in finals too many times, but Hector Coupe's time at Valencia, you would have to look back he set the basis for a very successful club from the 1999 season onwards. And he was rewarded with the UEFA Club Coach of the Year in 2000. Hector Coupe, always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Valencia come up short here against Bayern Munich, but boy, did they take them all the way. Dan took a look at this brilliant Bayern side who were just destined to finally get their hands on the Champions League trophy. It was an absolute revenge mission. Filled with determination, power and leadership. Losing the 1999 final to Manchester United in stoppage time had set Bayern back a bag full. They were on for a treble that year and ended up losing the German Cup final to boot. Upmore Hitzfeld would not be beaten, however, and stuck with that squad as well, having not really adding to it in the summer 2000 or 2001. In the Champions League campaign of 99-2000, Bayern would again be very unlucky. 
this time losing in a semi-final against Real Madrid. Bayern would take this into the 2000-2001 season by beating both these teams on the way to glory when they got past Manchester United. 3-1 on aggregate, comfortably 3-1 on aggregate in the quarterfinals, and they beat Real Madrid 3-2 across two legs in the semi-finals. They also topped both group stages in the 2000-2001 season and were filled, as I said before, by pure determination. And they had some skill and quality in the squad as well. Led by Oliver Kahn, Stefan Effenberg, Jan Jeremes, Giovanni Elber, Lizar Azou, Sami Kufour. Who can forget him in the 99 final having a fit and punching his fists into the ground and having to be brought back around by referee Pierre Luigi Colina. And they also added some Brazilian magic with Paulo Sergio and young talent with Owen Hargreaves playing in midfield for this Bayern Munich outfit. Patrick Anderson was a stalwart at centre-back and a really good recruit, a quiet recruit as well, as Bayern always are able to find some bargains. And they also added this very solid and steady Willie Sagnol, or Saggy Willie, as some people have called him over the years, who played it right back for this Bayern team. All in all, the field of Bayern team were very solid, led by a determined Effenberg and Kian, as I've touched on before. They were not to be beaten in 2001 in a nail-biting final that would go down to penalty kicks with Bayern just squeezing past Valencia on 9-8 on penalties. What a shootout. And in a game that finished 1-1 with Mendieta and Effenberg scoring penalties. A real battle at the San Siro. This final was made for Italian football. Overall, I'm delighted for Bayern Munich's characters that they had in their squad, but mostly for Upmore Hitzfeld. He was a fantastic manager who always came across well in interviews. He was highly respected by the likes of Lippe, Ferguson and Wenger. And I have to say, Bayern Munich fully deserved their Champions League in 2000-2001. They had worked solidly and quietly behind the scenes. And I was delighted to see them win it on the night. Despite Valencia losing two finals in a row, I feel that Bayern really did deserve this. You just touched on uh, Otmar Hitzfeld there, Dan. You know... The way that he lost the 99 final, not only for him to still be in the job and have the willpower to stay on, but also, you know, the fact that the Bayern Munich board kept him in there was a real show of faith. You know, I don't think too many clubs after the way they lost that final would have stuck with the manager. Definitely not, Stephen. I think if it would have been, you know, one of the Italian clubs or a Barcelona or Real Madrid, he'd he'd have got sacked because he took criticism in that final as well, he subbed uh, Matthias and Basler, and this was seen by some as an arrogant move. But I just think he, he was looking to get fresh legs on and, and waste a bit of time uh, in that final. And you know, anyone who watches that final back, Bayern Munich should have been out of sight. So, you know, Bayern are an intelligent club. They have former players in their board, always have had. And, you know, okay, they could have got rid of Hitzfeld, but who comes in then? Who was good enough? to pick that squad up. And there was real unity amongst that squad and coaching staff that were devastated. But we can do this. And we will do this. And that is the attitude that they took in to uh, the following season. We're okay. Semi-final, but it's Real Madrid. And then this season. Um, It was the last crack for some of this squad. And they gave it everything they had. So back in 2001, uh, UEFA didn't have an official Champions League team of the year. They had a UEFA team of the year, which included the UEFA Cup as well. So we decided to pick our own tournament team of the year, 1-11, to and a manager as well. 
Lads, who have we went for in goals? Yes, yeah, Steve, I've went for Oliver Kian, the angry German in goals. And this was the only time in his career where he smiled as he finally got his hands on the big Champions League trophy. Right back. In it right back, it's Willy Sagnall, who had a, a very solid season for Bayern Munich, which ended in Big Willy getting his hands on big ears. At centre-back, I went for Patrick Anderson, another Bayern Munich stalwart for this season, helping Oliver Kahn to seven clean sheets throughout the tournament. An unbelievable stat, considering the teams that they played. Who's our other centre-back? It's Roberto Ayala, a 4.5 million signing from AC Milan for Valencia. And what a warrior he was. Laid the line for Valencia and a superb centre-half. At left-back, it's Roberto Carlos. Probably one of the best left-backs of all time because he had the biggest legs in football of all time. And right midfield. It's the madman of the week. It's Lee Bowyer, who had a fantastic Champions League campaign in 2000-2001, scoring six goals and digging deep for Leeds. At centre midfield, I went for a real rogue man in life, a real bad guy, but a brilliant player, Stefan Effenberg. He scored two penalties in the final. There is a disclaimer against this man because he is a terrible human being. He stole his teammate Thomas Strunz's wife. And he also did an interview with Playboy where he said that all German unemployed people should not be paid because they're lazy. Who's our other centre midfielder? It's Mendieta, a driving force for Valencia that season. He could score goals and make them and he even scored in the final our left midfield, I went for our maverick of the week. I did have Keely Gonzalez in there, but I just couldn't look past Luis Figo when Dan gave me a nudge and said, come on, eight assists in the tournament. So Luis Figo is in there on the left wing. Who's our strikers? Our first striker is the top goal scorer of the 2000-2001 Champions League. And what a Champions League career he had. It's Raul straight in there. And who's his partner up front? Broke me hard to put him in there, but the stats don't lie. It's Elber. He helped Bayern win the competition with six goals that season. Mind you, there is debate over three of them as he was clearly offside. He must be a good friend of Filippo Inzaghi. And our manager of the year has to be Otmar Hitzfeld. I'm going to steal a phrase here from Ian Dowie. Bounce back ability. The way he bounced back after that 99 final to then come full circle and win it is unbelievable. And that is our Champions League 2000-2001 team of the tournament. It's now time to pick another player in our Simpsons Lookalike 11. And lads, this week our player made 11 appearances in the Champions League during the 2000-2001 season. He was also instrumental in Manchester United lifting the trophy in 99, scoring arguably the most famous goal in the tournament's history. It's Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And the baby-faced assassin is an absolute dead ringer for Bart Simpson's classmate, Wendell Borton. Wendell is an albino lad in Miss Cabropel's fourth grade and is best known for his weak constitution. First seen throwing up on the bus to school after Bart patted him on the back. This is very similar to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who is also known to be a puker. He most notably threw up the first time he saw Harry Maguire in training, and then again when he saw how much David De Gea was getting paid every week. He is going to bang in the goals for us, and he's going to get on the end of those Freddie Quimby knockdowns. So going straight into the team, not on the bench, he was a super sub, but he's in our starting eleven. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, also known as Wendell Borton. 
Great pick, Steve. Delighted with that. I can see it now. Dix with a sliding tackle. Good old Kearney at the back. Feeds it to Monty Burns with a lovely cross into Freddie Quimby. Flicks it on for Wendell at the back post. Uh, I can see it now. The team's starting to take shape. We have a it, front two. It will not be beaten. Mush, what do you make of Wendell up front? I know he's an albino puker. Well, hopefully he doesn't get sick on the pitch. A great addition, Steve. Also, he can play wide right. You know, even 10 to go, we could put him out right. And also a nice Scandinavian touch. And he's also played with McBain, Schmeichel. Yes, he has. Yeah, think about it. Think about it. Dan, I think that's your door. Go and get that. Oh, I'll get it now. Who is it? Oh, it's Postman Pat Rice. Good to see you, Pat. How's the form? Not too bad. How are you, Daniel? The very best, Pat. Always brighter for seeing you. Ah, oh, thank you very much. Hey. Any stats for us, Pad? Did you know that Marcus Scales signed for Rangers for £1 million? Yes, he was very loyal to Wimbledon, and even after they got relegated, he still played in the old championship. Come January time, I think he had enough, and he packed his wee bags and he went up to Glasgow, but he only played four times for Rangers. Everyone forgets that the uh, ex-Crazy Gang member played for Rangers. Maybe Rangers was too crazy for the Crazy Gang member. Jeez, maybe. Do you not have to get back to work there? Oh, jeez, you're just right, hey. The this, this sack's not going to empty itself. Right, got to go, lads. See you later, Pat. Oh, what's that letter you've got there, Dan? Uh, yes, Steve, it's a letter from uh, Mark Judge. He's wrote to us telling us a great story about the Leeds United v Lazio game that we've just covered. And Mark has told us that his father and brother and uncle we're at the Leeds United v Lazio game. His dad rang Marks just so Mark could listen to the atmosphere at Allen Road and just how buzzing the crowd was. And when Mark's dad told him that Mihailovic was standing over a free kick, Mark replied by simply saying, Dad, he's going to score this free kick. And he scored it. So there you go. A great bit of trivia and a nice wee story from the game that we've just covered. And Mark has also uh, sent us through the match programme from that night. So uh, big thank you to Mark for sending us, us through that information. It was really good to look back at. And I can only imagine the programmes that Leeds United fans have from this time. Brilliant stuff, Mark. If only they had in-play betting then, you would have been a millionaire. <laughs> so that is it for this week's pod, our special edition of the Champions League 2000-2001 season. But don't worry, we're back next week and things return to normal. Or are they normal? Because we are going back to 2004, 2005. Dan, what yes, have we Stephen. got in store? Yes, Stephen, looking forward to this one. Uh, we have a 14 tussle for survival with Crystal Palace, West Brom, Norwich and Southampton all fighting to avoid the drop on the final day of an epic Premier League season. We also have Jose Mourinho and Rafa Benitez's first Premier League season. Graham Souness moving to Newcastle, which meant sadly Sir Bobby isn't there anymore. We also have Harry Redknapp trading in Portsmouth for Southampton. And Ian Dowie managing Crystal Palace, while Brian Robson is having a few lagers with West Brom. Brilliant. So it's good night for me and it's good night from Dan. Say good night, Dan. Good night, Dan. And it's good night from Mush, the matchman. Say good night, Mush. Good night, Mush. See you next week.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 